Hey guys, it's so good to be here. Thanks, Josh. Those were um, very kind words, um, and I received them humbly. Um, well, my name is Jenny, um, as Josh just mentioned, and my husband and I currently are at Yale University. We work, well, I work for Kyle for there. He's actually a PhD student. So if you have any chemistry questions, you can direct those <laughs> to him. Um, he is partially here to hear me speak and support me, but he's also here to play sports with you guys. So if you're like, I'm bored, let's go play, I don't know, sports balls. He's your guy. <laughs> Um, I'm really honored to be here. I feel like, man, that was such a precious time of worship together um, to be in the presence of God with one another. So, um, yeah, Josh and Katie, uh, they were both me and uh, my husband's campus pastors back in the day. Um, I've had the privilege of knowing them for a decade basically yeah that's pretty crazy um, and they've been a significant part of both of our stories uh, I have this fun picture of me and Josh in yep there's us um, we actually don't take a lot of photos together I like tried to find like I looked you know on Facebook you can go to like see friendship with Josh see friendship with Katie like we didn't have a lot of photos together so maybe we should fix that this weekend anyway this is us in Cairo and a cute dog I don't know um, but anyway uh, if you haven't got a chance to go on a spring break trip um, in Chi Alpha, uh, 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, lots of giggles. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's so good to put some faces um, to the people that I've been praying for for the last few weeks and months. And um, yeah, I really do believe that the creator of this world, the creator of you and I, loves us more than we can ever comprehend and that the gospel of the kingdom of Christ is good news for our souls, uh, whether we're looking for it or not. So um, just so you know a little bit about me, um, my family immigrated from Korea when I was five. And if you know anything about immigration, you would know that it's both a beautiful and traumatic experience, especially at the age of five. So I actually grew up in Northern Virginia. I went to high school right across the street from George Mason, so 703 rep. <laughs> um, and I grew up going to a Korean church, and that was kind of just you know where my family landed, where we could just be after moving to the States. And I'm grateful for having grown up, learning about God, learning about Jesus, but you know how it goes. Life happens. Being a teenager is kind of hard. Um, at least for me. <laughs> and things were happening in my home. Other things just seemed more pressing. And Christianity honestly seemed kind of unhelpful, um, even harmful. So I entered college. I went to the University of Virginia, pretty much a cynical and jaded church kid. Um, and when I say I wasn't interested in pursuing faith, like I would literally, if, you, if I was walking down the street and I saw someone from home that I knew that was a Christian, I would walk to the other side of the street so I would not have to interact with them. Um, but God in his loving kindness uh, disrupted my life through a community called Chi Alpha. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, it was kind of like, I like to say Jesus went from 2D to 3D to 4D <laughs> during my time in college and my life has truly never been the same. So this weekend, I want to walk us through a series of questions Jesus asked during his earthly ministry. 
So if you've ever been in a discussion section or any kind of small group setting, does anyone like discussion sections? They were like my worst fear. Okay, well, I <laughs> did not like talking. <laughs> um, but if you've ever been in discussion section or a small group setting, you might know the power of a good question. Um, not the kind of question that's just like, how's it going? Or what's the answer to this question? But the kind of question that gets everyone talking the kind of question that you think about as you lay in bed at night or when you're showering. Um, because good questions are like keys that unlock something. They unlock something within our souls. And if you've been around Christians at all, well, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> uh, Jesus is usually presented as the answer. Um, and I don't know about you, but I sometimes felt like Jesus is the answer was like kind of out of touch with reality. Like, thank you for giving me an answer to like that I wasn't looking for. Um, but if we look at the life of Jesus, we would see that Jesus was actually asking all sorts of questions himself. He seems to ask more questions than give answers. And I find this so interesting that the God of the universe during his few years on earth decided to spend time with ordinary people asking them rather simple questions. So this weekend, um, I'm gonna, I wanna walk us through just four of those questions that he asked. And these are not questions that are meant to test us, but questions that are uh, meant to help lead our, to our transformation. So whether you are a follower of Jesus uh, or you're still figuring it out or you're not really sure like how much you want to follow him, um, I think every single one of us will be able to engage with each one. Sound good? Um, so as we, sorry, as you can tell, I don't know how high I want this. Okay. Apparently, that's where it's going to stay. <laughs> when Josh was like, I want to think of two, or two words, I was like, I feel like the word people go for is short. <laughs> like, I'm short. <laughs> um, so as we jump into the first question, I have a question for you guys. How many of you guys like road trips? Ooh, yeah. yeah, you guys, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> What's the longest road trip you've ever gone on? You drove all the way to Arizona from this side of the country? That's far. How long did that take you? That's a long time. <laughs> um, I don't mind road trips as long as I'm not doing it by myself. Um, usually some good snacks, good friends, good podcasts. It's hard to find a good podcast that's not about true crime. Like <laughs> They all give me nightmares. Um, but most times when you set out on a road trip, you have some sort of destination in mind, right? Um, but what if you went on a road trip that just never ended? Like tomorrow, you set off on the road knowing you want to reach somewhere really great and amazing, but you don't really know where you're going. And then for the rest of your life, you're just going from rest stop to rest stop, Airbnb to Airbnb, city to city. I know, sounds like van life. <laughs> um, and it probably would be fun for a few weeks, maybe a few years. But come on, the rest of your life, I don't know. There's a George Clooney movie called Up in the Air. I think I have a picture of him in case you forgot what he looked like. <laughs> there he is. 
Um, and he plays a man named Ryan. Um, and his character, Ryan, uh, has this job that basically makes him live a constantly traveling life. And he aspires to earn 10 million frequent flyer miles with American Airlines. Um, and he says in the movie, quote, all the things you probably hate about traveling, the recycled air, the artificial lighting, the digital juice dispensers, the cheap sushi, are warm reminders that I'm home. And throughout the movie, he falls in love. And basically, his philosophy of life comes into question. And towards the end of the movie, he's on a flight where the crew announces that he has just crossed the 10 million mile mark. The pilot comes to congratulate him because he's the youngest person to ever achieve that milestone. And there's a conversation where Ryan's like, you know, I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. And the pilot's like, good for you. Um, <laughs> where is home? And R Ryan, realizing that he has no real home, just says, here and the hollowness rings in his own ears. The road has become his life, and it's just kind of left him restless. And you and I might uh, watch a movie like this, actually don't watch this movie, it's not very good, um, and think, <laughs> that's really sad. Um, I don't want to live like that. But I think we are all more like Ryan than we might think, for example. When I was entering middle school, all I wanted were two things. One, to fit in, obviously. Two, to be accepted into Thomas Jefferson High School for science and technology. I don't know. <laughs> Boo, I didn't get in. <laughs> um, I also really wanted a cell phone. I made a slideshow to convince my parents why my life would be better with one. Um, and then my sophomore year, all I really wanted was my driver's license. And then by senior year, I just wanted to finally go to the right college, discover myself, and finally live. And then my freshman year of college, uh, it was to find that perfect friend group, the right major that would explain my life's purpose. And then it was my summer internship. Slowly it was finding my life partner. And I might not be flying 10 million miles, but my life honestly wasn't much different than Ryan's. I was going from place to place, from want to want, only to realize one day that's not really leading me anywhere. So what about you? Have you ever experienced this phenomenon? So think back on your life so far. What, was there something that you were really looking to? Maybe it was an event or a life stage. Maybe it was a sports tournament. I didn't play sports, can't relate. Um, maybe it was like me, like finally going to college. Was it everything you hoped for? Or do you now just find yourself wanting something different? And deep reflection on this question is what led to my existential crisis my freshman year. Because once we realize that we spend our lives going from one want to another, only to discover that once we get what we want, it doesn't fix our life, and we find ourselves wanting something else. This pattern doesn't stop once you graduate from college. We discover that finding that perfect job actually still leaves you wanting more, that getting married doesn't fill the need for significance, and that financial stability still leaves us unhappy. It's like we hit the road on that road trip, whether it's because we're restless or because we're looking for something. 
whatever the reason is, we go off on that road trip called life, wanting to find something great. But when we get there, we find that it's not as satisfying as we'd hope. So we think, okay, maybe it wasn't that, but maybe it's actually this other thing. So we set off towards our next destination, only to discover that also isn't all that satisfying. So in order to cope with the constant disappointment, we convince ourselves that the road is life. Or as my childhood role model, Hannah Montana, once sang, <laughs> it ain't about how fast I get there, it ain't about what's waiting on the other side, it's the climb. And come on, it's such a good song, but like, let's think about those words. Like, does it really not matter what's waiting on the other side? <laughs> I know, I still really like the song. But this is what it means like to be a human in our world. Is this what life really is? To be going from rest stop to rest stop, flight to flight, from want to want? Or is there another way of being human? And Jesus' question tonight invites us into a new way of life. So our question tonight um, comes from the book of John, um, John chapter 1, so the very first chapter. Um, I think the verses are on the screen. Yes, John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. It says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the context of what's happening here. So in this passage, we meet Jesus meeting his first disciples, or in other words, his followers, his apprentices, basically like people who would follow him around, be with him, learn from him, and do what he does. And the John referred to in this passage is John the Baptist, who was a famous prophet at the time, and he declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So John is basically saying, this man, Jesus, he's the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan for the world. It's not like a casual statement, like in our culture, where we tend to over-exaggerate with our words, like I have five best friends, that doesn't make sense. Um, but this man, Jesus, is who we've been promised and been waiting for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. So John's words of, look, the Lamb of God, it did more than just catch the, these disciples' interest. So they begin to follow after him. So imagine this scene playing out. You're standing with your teacher, John, and he exclaims that this man is the fulfillment of making everything right in the world. You don't know what that means. You start to walk after him, and suddenly this man, he stops what he's doing, he looks at you in the eyeballs, in the eyes, and asks, hey there, what do you want? And these are the first words of Jesus as recorded in John's gospel. What do you want? 
Or put another way, what are you seeking? What are you after? And this is not insignificant. The gospel writers are really thoughtful and brilliant about how they put their account together, their account of Jesus. This is intentional, and I love that the very first words out of Jesus' mouth recorded in John's gospel, they don't address our sin or our failures. They're not hostile or accusatory. They're actually not even a command or advice. His first words are a question. It's a deep question that shines a light on human desire. When was the last time you were asked what you wanted? Like, not just when a barista asked you what you wanted to order from Starbucks, or when your friend asked what you wanted to watch on Netflix, or when your grandparent asked what you want for your birthday. It's hard questions. But like, what do you really want? What are you seeking in life? If you're anything like me, I'd answer, I don't know what I want. Like Josh asked earlier, what do you want for dinner? And I was like, please, I can't make this decision. <laughs> it's like the worst question you could ask me. Um, or like, what's the correct answer to this question? Can you tell me the correct answer so I can answer it right? I don't want to ask you to give me something you can't. And having grown up around Christians, um, the correct answer I feel like I know should be, I just want God, right? We saying that. But I think I also want like my life to be meaningful. I want good friends. I want to make my family proud. I want a good paying job. <laughs> what do you want? And Jesus' question is pretty provocative. It's a disruptive question. But I think this is the question for every single one of us. It invites us to consider two things. It invites us to consider the reality of our wants and the fulfillment of our wants. So first, the reality of our wants. Depending on how you were formed or were raised growing up, you may feel a certain way about what you want. Maybe you see your wants as something negative or even harmful, so you ignore them, perhaps to the point where you're not in touch with what you want at all. Or maybe your wants are all that matter. They are what drives your life. Or maybe you feel like your wants are only important to you, so you know how to manipulate your world to get what you want. Regardless of how you feel towards your wants, Jesus' question opens us to the reality that Jesus is interested in what we want. Jesus is interested in our wants and desires. This isn't a rhetorical question or to just fill up time. What you want is a really big deal to Jesus. You know, there's a quote I read in passing um, a while ago that said, Jesus is not interested in your spiritual life. He's just interested in your life. And that's what these two disciples find out in our passage, that Jesus seems to care about what they want. He cares enough even if they don't know what they want. You know, maybe they're caught off guard. Maybe they don't know. I don't know. They don't really answer Jesus directly. They, instead, they ask, Rabbi, where are you staying? And I think Jesus asks them and asks us this question because he knows something about us as the one that created us. 
You see, because before we are thinking creatures, before we are rational creatures, we are wanting creatures. Think about it. Babies, yeah, babies, <laughs> know how to communicate what they want, right? Like, I want mom. I want dad. I want food. I don't want that. Give me that. Um, God created us with wants. God cares about our wants because he's the one that made us. He's placed eternity in our hearts. And that doesn't mean like, in terms of time, um, but in, in depth of experience and longing. So Jesus doesn't ask this question because he's trying to test them or because he's trying to test us. As if like, if they said the right thing, they would get to be Christians. But Jesus asks this question because he knows something about our hearts. He knows that we want. But you see, so many of our wants have been wounded, misdirected, and exploited by sin. Have you ever seen someone pursue something, but it's actually like the something deeper, like this other thing that they really want? For example, um, the student who works extremely hard academically because they want to succeed, but underneath that want is actually a want to feel significant. Or how about that student who finds themselves in that fraternity basement week after week, one meaningless hookup after the other, but underneath what they really want is to be noticed and desired, to be wanted. Or the person who explores identity after identity in search of authenticity, but underneath what they're really looking for is meaning, a longing for meaning and existence. You know, I walk on campus every day at Yale and they, the students walk around with purpose. And I can't help but wonder, you guys are so busy going from class to class, thing to thing, but what are you actually looking for in life? Many of us spend our lives with wants we don't know how to satisfy. We yearn for something, but we don't know what that is. We try a bit of this, a bit of that. Nothing's quite right or enough. It's like we're on a pilgrimage without a destination. So what if the things that we want point to a deeper want? And I invite you tonight to be just a little bit curious about what it is that you want. And if you're like, okay, you've lost me, this is too meta of a question, I don't know. Um, start by looking at your daily actions, your daily habits and patterns of behavior. There's a modern day philosopher named James Smith and he writes, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. So think about the habits and patterns of your life, what you spend time doing, what you spend time thinking about, what you spend money, your resources on. And I think if we do an, a, like an honest audit of that, it can help us begin to come to terms with the things that we want. So what do I really want when I reach for my phone? What do I really want when I want to succeed academically? What do I really want when I want to be popular? What do I really want when I want to be authentic? What do I really want when I want sex? What do I really want when I want my life to be meaningful? Could it be that all these things we want on a day-to-day -day basis point to a deeper want? Could it be that all of these things reveal that deep in our souls we are haunted with the want to be loved, to be desired, to be seen, to be protected, to be nurtured,
to belong, to rest. And so again, it's as if we set off on that road trip, going from place to place, only to experience disappointment and restlessness. We get into that med school, I won't ever, we get a bid into that sorority, finally find the perfect relationship, only to still feel wanting. Which brings us to the second aspect of tonight's question, the fulfillment of our wants. When Jesus asks us this question, what do you want? He has no intention of stopping with us just naming what we want because no one is more aware of the reality of our wants and the depth of our sin than Jesus. Jesus knows that we are not capable of satisfying these wants and that to live a life enslaved to those wants will only harm ourselves and those around us. So my question for you is, what do you want and is your current way of living getting you what you really want? Is there a way that you are living where you are trying to have your wants fulfilled by something that will only leave you wanting more? And Jesus' response to them, as we read, is an invitation. He just says, come and see. Come and be my disciple. Come and be my apprentice. Come and be with me. Come and see a different way to live. Come and see that what you're going to spend your entire life looking for, you're only going to discover in me. Come and see that everything that you desire, what you really want, is life in my kingdom. Come and see what it would live, look like to live no longer enslaved to your wants, but actually live from a place of deep satisfaction. And I think what you and I want, according to the gospel author of John, is life. And actually later on in his gospel, uh, John records Jesus saying that I have come that you may have life to the full. And what Jesus was inviting them into was discipleship to himself. Or in other words, take on my teaching. Come change your life. Put on my way of living. Be with me. Become like me and see what I do in your life. As I was preparing for this weekend, I was reflecting on what I want. When I look back at the patterns of my life, um, I can see that what I really want <laughs> was deeper than the things that I was pursuing. What I really wanted was to be known, to be loved, and to be wanted. And I can see how some of the, the hard things of moving to America only distorted this want until I became a person who sought after the approval of others, who thought that romance would fulfill that want, how I believed that excelling in my schoolwork would make me be a worthy of love. I wanted to be seen, to be known, and to be noticed. But thank the Lord <laughs> that he helped me see that the depths of these wants that no person, no event, and no thing can ever satisfy. I once heard someone say, I don't remember who said this, um, but it's always stuck with me, that the gospel does not begin with you're a sinner and Jesus died for you, 
But the gospel begins with that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that there's a God who created us for him. He knows what we want and how we can have our longings met. Before sin distorted our wants and we started to look to meet our wants in all the wrong places, God created us out of love in his image. And the narrative of the whole Bible is that human beings were created to be with God, to long for God. And so you and I were created by God. And while we are living life on the road, going from place to place, not even sure of what we're looking for, God knows where we belong and only he knows how to get us home. You know, what if the Bible is actually true and that God really created us to have our wants fulfilled in him? What if it's totally, absolutely true that God's created us for him and that our heart's longings are infinite and we are going to be ultimately disappointed with anything else in this world? I don't know, I don't remember who it is that won the book by um, St. Augustine. Um, he is a theologian from the fourth century in North Africa. And he has this famous quote where he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And the best part of this whole thing, of this whole conversation, is that once we come to terms with that reality, that once we realize that everything we really want is in God himself, we also see that Jesus is like right in front of us. He's the one that's come to us, not the way or other way around. We ultimately find rest because we are found. You don't have to keep looking anymore. Jesus has come to you. And I love this image from uh, one of St. Augustine's sermons where he said, it's as if someone could see his home country from a long way away, but is cut off from it by the sea. He sees where to go, but does not have the means to get there. You can't get there from here. Not even a map is enough. But what if God sent a boat? For no one can cross the sea of this world unless carried over it on the cross of Christ. And I love this final little interaction with Peter at the end of our passage. It's like a little detail. <laughs> because you see, in their day, a name was prophetic. It meant something deep. It held a sense of what their destiny would hold. And so Jesus looks at Peter and sees him as God intended him to be. And he declares that his name is Cephas. And by doing that, Jesus is basically saying, Peter, as you follow me, I'm going to totally transform your life. This is going to change the trajectory of your life. This is going to change the way you live. Because here's the thing. God being the fulfillment of our wants does not mean we are going to get everything we want in life. Discipleship to Jesus is not like the solution where everything's like awesome. I mean, everything is awesome. Um, and it doesn't mean we suddenly get transported to our final destination either. There are no false promises here. It is not a prosperity gospel of the present. But G discipleship to Jesus does change how you travel. It changes how you live 
It changes where you look for the fulfillment of your wants. Instead of hoping that what I do with my life is meaningful, I can walk through life knowing where my purpose and vision comes from. Instead of looking to my friendships for, for affirmation or for a sense of my identity, I can enter into friendships knowing that the God of the universe already went to hell and back just to be with me. Instead of chase, chasing the rush of a feeling of intimacy with another person, we can experience true, deep intimacy with the one we were created for. Instead of grasping for security and things in life that are always going to change, we can be rooted in the most secure person of all. So what does this mean for our lives practically? What does this question mean for you and I? Well, when you and I are faced with this question of what it is that we want, we have basically two options. The first option is to continue living with the road is life philosophy. Continue to give yourself over to your next want. Make yourself home in the world. There's always the next thrill, the next conquest, the next experience, the next Friday night, the next relationship, the next job. And these are good things, and you're probably gonna have a pretty good life, but they're not gonna fulfill the longings of your heart. And the second option we have is to take up Jesus's invitation to be his disciple, to become his apprentice. Not just check him out, but to truly be with him, to do what he did, and to become like him, and to surrender our wants in his presence, that we can no longer live to make sure, like, I have to get what I want. I, you no longer have to live with that kind of drive. So as we come to a close, what if Jesus is asking you this question tonight? I'll ask the worship team to come up. I don't know where you guys are. What do you want? And is your current way of living getting you what you really want? Is there a way that you're living where you are trying to have your wants fulfilled by something that is only going to leave you wanting more? Because again, what if, just what if, the Bible is like actually true? What if Jesus really is who he says he is? What if Jesus really is the only answer to your soul's wants? Would that change how you live? So I, I invite us as we um, take some time um, to respond, um, as we sit in the presence of the Holy Spirit, to just ask the Holy Spirit to help us see ourselves and to see him more truly. So I just have two questions that I want each of us to wrestle with here just for a few minutes. So the first question is, what do you want? So think back on the last few days, on the last few weeks, maybe even the last few months and years, and take an audit of your wants. Think through your habits, your thought patterns, your actions, the thing that you spend time doing day in and day out. What are the things that you want? If you have a journal or a piece of paper, um, I would encourage you to even write them down. 
And then the second question is, what do you really want? You know, after you've taken time to answer that first question, when you look at that list of the inventory of the things that you want on a day-to-day -day basis, if you were to honestly consider underneath all of that, what it is that you, what is it that you really want? Is it love? Is it affirmation? Is it significance? Is it to be understood or known? And this isn't a question of judgment or a question of condemnation or again, a question to test you. Remember, Jesus actually cares about what you want. He created you and he longs to satisfy the desires of your heart in the only way that can actually happen. So um, I invite you as you answer these questions, just in the presence of God in your seats, to take your wants before Jesus, to ask him to satisfy these things. And that might even look like, you know, responding in a physical posture of surrenderance by offering your um, palms open to him. Or it might look like asking someone to pray with you later this evening, like, hey, this is something that I, I see I want in my heart and I want Jesus to meet me there. So we're just gonna take a few moments to do that. And, but before we do, I just wanna pray over us. And we'll enter into time of prayer and worship. So let's pray. Jesus, God, we just acknowledge and confess that you um, are who you say you are, that you are God that you are the one who knows us and loves us. And God, if there's anyone in this room, for whatever reason, that has wondered if you understand them or see them, God, I pray that tonight and this weekend that you would show them that you truly do care about the things of their heart, the things in their lives. And so God, as we just take time um, to consider what it is that our hearts really want, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to us those things in our lives, that God, you would give us the courage to surrender those things to you, and God, help us um, to live free from, from that, that life of going from thing to thing, from place to place, Lord, help us to live in alignment with you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.